All right, good afternoon. All right, that's a pretty hearty one. Let me just say that i uh, very appreciative to be here today. Very grateful to be able to get to know some of you that I've not met before. And I'm very thankful that some people I know that didn't know were in the room just saw they were in the room. So that's, that's pretty amazing too. And uh, even some people from Eastern Kentucky, which I truly, truly love. Uh, but I live in uh, Evansville, Indiana at the moment. And fantastic congregation, fantastic city and place. And uh, it is a blessing to be a Christian. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to serve God, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be here at this time, too. You've done an amazing job in setting this up. Uh, receiving a card earlier this week is an encouragement signed by your members. What a nice touch. It really was. It was a, a very encouraging thing to go, man, they really care about this happening. And so it kind of got me pumped up for it as well. So thank you for that. If you would open your Bibles up to James chapter 2, we're going to be there in verse 14 through 26 in just a moment. The topic we have today is fruitless faith. Fruitless faith. That would be the kind of faith that does not produce what God would want it to produce. That's the kind of faith that someone may say, I have faith, but you're not moving in a direction that draws you closer to God. That's the kind of faith that someone may put on a plaque or may put on a t-shirt or wear as a bumper sticker. But it has no effect that would please God or serve his kingdom. He's talking about a quality of faith that can be measured. And brothers and sisters, if we are going to be God's people, which we must be, then we need to care about the quality of our faith. And if we are truly pleasing God, and if we're truly doing the things that will affect the world in a way where they can see his glory and they can and see the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. That's our opener as we go into this. James, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does a masterful job of unfolding uh, this particular passage. We'll start in verse 14 where he says, What does it profit my brother? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warned and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. I love verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, what an interesting thing that he's posing here to other Christians. In verse 14, you know he's talking to Christians. He says, my brethren, my brethren. He's talking to people who are believers. He's talking to people who's already committed their lives to God. 
and should be serving with great clarity and, and with great works and should be doing the things to move the kingdom forward. They should be doing kingdom life, kingdom life. But it seems like there was some struggling going on with an understanding of faith and what it meant to have a faith that was acceptable to God. You and I, we both know there's a, an idea of faith, sort of a generic sense of faith, that when you throw that out into the world, people have a variety of ideas about what faith may be. There's people in the world that kind of have that blind faith ideology about them. You can even see it in movies. Do you remember in Indiana Jones when there was a, the movie he was in with Sean... Uh, Sean Connery, and there was a point where he was going to cross a bridge, and it was supposed to be a moment of faith, and he was supposed to just step out. If I fall here, that's going to be funny. He took some dirt and threw it out there. And I think that was a greater example of faith because he had evidence, he had example, he had an element of truth that was there, and he walked on in the midst of it. But for so many people, faith is just blind faith. Like, I hope this kind of works out. Or probably, probably this will work out. I heard two guys on a podcast the other day, and neither really would associate themselves with Christianity, but they were talking about, I believe it was Pascal's principle, which like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe religion is true. Maybe God does exist. And maybe, maybe it's best just to kind of try. Because even if it, isn't true then what's the worst you live a good life you live a good morality uh, in your life what's the worst that could happen you're extra nice to your neighbor that's pretty good and if it is true well there's heaven and if it's not okay so be it you cease to exist but at least you were kind of nice and that was faith a lot of people would look at that and say well that sounds pretty good it's got a logic to it it makes sense i can get on board with that but that's not Bible faith, is it? And, and neither is the blind faith, not Bible faith at all. And neither is the kind of faith that would compel you to say, well, I just believe in God. Surely that's enough. Surely I, uh, that's enough. Which would be the kind of faith where you're trying to approach it from the bare minimum. The bare minimum. And if we are people of God, if we are people of God, how can we possibly be concerned with just skirting by with the bare minimum? God didn't create you to be the people of the bare minimum. And so James is challenging the people here in this passage to consider their faith. Is it real faith? Is it genuine faith? And if it is, you'll know. You'll know. It's not a guessing game. The faith he's talking about here has a certain quality to it. And it's measurable. It is a measurable faith of a particular quality. Picture, if you will, if every single one of us could walk about our daily lives and we would express our faith. He's going to get there with work. But what if everyone could see your faith and how it's represented? What if there was like a meter above your head, almost kind of like a video game or something, that would display what kind of faith you truly have and maybe there would be a way we could filter that through scripture so we get it in truth and and we would attach it to ourselves and we would walk about and and people could see man that's real faith because it is glowing out and god the way god would want us to maybe it's an emoji you would use and it would be a dove to so the holy spirit 
Or maybe, maybe your faith would be pretty weak and maybe it's really, really bad and so there would be flames because, you know, not so good. People would probably be offended a little bit. Hey, it's too personal, man. That's too personal. That's between me and God, right? Too personal. We wouldn't put that on display. And yet James is writing in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, saying, yeah, it is on display. It is measurable. If you've got genuine faith, real faith, if you've got the kind that pleases God, it is measurable, and it will be so by your works. If you have a real kind of faith, it will express itself quite naturally in the things that you do, your works, the way that you live your life. He gives some examples, pretty strong ones to begin with. Imagine that you've got someone who comes up to you and they're destitute and they've got some real issues going on in their life. They're naked and destitute, particularly what he says. And they have no food. And then you just simply walk up. And this is a negative example. Don't do this one. This is a negative example. And you just simply say, well, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. Oh, man. That one hits. That one kind of hits because I'm afraid I, you, I, we, we see that a little too often, don't we? It's a sort of a passive example of interacting in people's lives. And it's quite contrary to the way that we saw Jesus express himself in the world, isn't it? Separate, passive. Don't want to get your hands too dirty. And all you're doing is just well-wishing and saying, well, I, you know, I hope it works out for you. And he's saying it's dead because you've done nothing. You haven't profited your own relationship with God or those people. And you've changed nothing in their reality. The hilarious thing in America where we are insanely blessed, we really are, is I could see this conversation unfolding when wintertime, someone's cold without much and they're, they're hungry and there we stand with maybe our fleece jacket on, but on top of our fleece jacket, we've got our waterproof jacket and then we're thinking, man, should I have brought my puffy coat too? Because I got two, three, four, five, six jackets, but then I got my work jacket, that's my Carhartt, and then I got my waterproof jacket, and this guy's got nothing, so hope, hope you're doing good, buddy. And then we think about how blessed we are with our, our kitchen stocked full of things, and I know that's rough for now because of the economy. Things are so expensive. But to have bread and water and peanut butter and four different kinds of beef and three different kinds of chicken and maybe you went to Whole Foods and you got organic chicken or whatever. Nothing wrong with those things. But if the most we can muster is, hope you get some food, it's dead faith. That example is telling us that there's this thing where we say we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, but the only way it expresses ourselves is through some well-wishing, passively moving through life separate from people, not willing to get involved and have an effect. Having an effect that would display God to the world. It hits hard because when we think about Jesus, he wasn't very passive, was he? It wasn't just well-wishing. Jesus got down with the people. Jesus got in the midst of people's lives. The hard things. He was willing to do the hard things. It wasn't an easy path that he was saying just to kind of avoid the hard things, but he got down into the nitty-gritty of people's lives. 
John chapter 8, when he's sitting there and those, those teachers and religious leaders came up and they were trying to display faith of some sort with the Torah when they brought the lady caught in adultery and presented her before Jesus. Man, that's faith, right? Right? We're standing up and we're going to condemn this lady. That's faith, right? And they missed the point because they missed the person and they missed Jesus in the midst of it. And all they had was an academic understanding of law, important, but that led them to use a woman as a tool to make their point rather than seeing her as a human being with a soul created in God's image who needed salvation. Their faith was the kind that would condemn and tear down and use a person as nothing more than a tool right before Jesus himself. But he gave them the blessing of this lesson to say, no, 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 no. Let's get involved in this situation. Sure, she got caught in adultery, but what are you caught up in? I made that very famous statement that he without sin cast the first stone and they recognize what's going on and they received that blessing pretty well because they turned and walked away. And then he confronted her quite compassionately about her circumstance, legally, by the law. Sure, she could have been condemned. What an opportunity to edify someone and what an opportunity to show God in the world by doing this work and getting in the middle of the situation and say, go and sin no more. Turn your life around. Come to God. And to do it so publicly that everyone would have to acknowledge something different going on. We saw the faith of the, the religious leaders who were experts in the Torah to some degree, but they kind of missed out because they missed the person and they didn't have God's love and they had no sense of justice and no real sense of forgiveness and they were missing the actions of God in it. A lot of knowledge, very little effect towards God. Jesus got involved and he tended to do that quite a bit. That's what he's reminding us of in this passion. It's, uh, it's not enough just to have a lot of Bible knowledge. You got to have works that correlate with God in the midst of it. You got to believe rightly and truly, and that will be expressed in the works that you do in the world. I knew some guys, some that were super, super smart, and they were heralded pretty big, and they should be recognized. Man, they could quote so much from the Bible, so much from the Bible. You want to know who the 12 tribes are? No problem. Got it. You want to know who the genealogy is from Abraham down to David? Probably got that too. You want to know who the 12 spies are? Not the two that everybody knows, but the other 10 as well? Probably got it, right? And then they may know how to pronounce all those words that we kind of skip through when we read real quick. Uh, the Hebrew words, the Greek words, even the funny names that surely no one names their kids, those sort of things, until you look back in your family history. And yes, they do. Those people knew that stuff. And they spent so much time learning those things, and it should be respected greatly, that they never got out and used that information to interact with people. Some sense of faith and the importance of God, but where does it come into play? On the flip side, I knew some people that knew very little about the scriptures. They probably couldn't quote much more than, oh yeah, John 3.16, that's the uh, for, 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 for God so loved the world one, is that right? That's where they were at on that. They could probably do the Philippians 4.13 because that's super popular. and Many athletes had that tattooed on them so they could recognize that one. They couldn't tell you the 12 tribes, certainly not the 12 spies, and certainly didn't know maybe even Joshua and Caleb, but they knew that Jesus got in and involved things. And these guys, though, 
No lie. These guys would get out and man, they got involved with people. I mean, really got involved with people. They would give things away like that. They would see someone hurting and suffering like that. They're involved. In fact, one time it got pretty bad where one of them saw a guy and he was like, oh, that's a homeless guy. I feel terrible about this. And he was eating lunch, so he went and got lunch. And then he took it to the guy and said, here you go, man. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Let me help you. And the guy's like, I'm not homeless, man. I just dress like this. Which I thought was super funny. Uh, super funny. But his heart was so driven towards helping people, he's like, well, okay. But I'm going to be there for people no matter what. No matter what. The problem is a lot of times in our world, we tend to think it's got to be one or the other. I've got to have a lot of knowledge or I've got to do a lot of works. But James is saying it's not one or the other. It's both. And that's not too much to ask. It's really not too much to ask at all. It's reasonable. It's reasonable because if you understand Scripture truly, and it's more than an academic exercise, and it's much more than simply trivia that we know for the sake of knowing things, and it's certainly more than what we would say just for, to, to puff ourselves up with pride, then quite naturally, it will express itself in the actions that you do if it's real and genuine in the way that God defines it. He goes on in this passage and he tells people, listen, you believe there's one God great. You do well. The devils believe and tremble. It didn't save the devils and didn't lead them to do works in support of God. In fact, they knew God existed and they were still working in, uh, in opposition to God. So he said, be very careful. Just knowing not enough, you got to do. And then he gives two wonderful examples from the Old Testament. And they're particularly interesting, given that it is James. And any of the Hebrew people of the Hebrew heritage would recognize Abraham. That's the first one uh, for sure. But James is also throwing in Rahab the harlot, which is kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. As we talk about quality here. Um, Rahab the harlot. Because if James is the half-brother of Jesus, and through his genealogy, she carries a special place in his history as well. On the surface, it might look like, what an odd choice. But really, what a brilliant choice. With Abraham as an example, anybody could say, well, of course, Abraham, man, mythical, legendary figure of faith for sure. True, good example. Set the bar high. Rahab the harlot? Is that who you're making your argument with? Rahab the harlot? Even by her profession, we would say questionable questionable person but perfect because this kind of faith is open to everyone everyone that God created can make the choice to do things based on their knowledge of God to express godliness out into the world perfect by the example of Abraham and by the example of Rahab everybody can be included no one could be excluded it would be easy for us to take a judgy uh, standpoint incorrectly and look down on her that would probably be a common human worldly thing to do she's just a, a nobody she's just a harlot she's just a sinner what could she possibly do and yet James is saying quite a bit quite a bit in terms of faith coupled with works quite a bit and Abraham you could look at him and say it's too much it's too much who could possibly live to that level of example but James is saying any of us 
If we choose, if we choose. Think about what Abraham did in this story. And I really love the painting uh, uh, given here, mostly because it expresses a tremendous amount of emotion with the story. Sometimes when we picture these stories, we hear the narratives, we kind of alienate the emotions from them. But can you imagine, even though God had asked you to do this uh, situation, what that must have been like? To take your son up to an altar and be ready to sacrifice him. And can you imagine what that must have been like for Isaac to have his father in that position? There was a very, very slim chance he was quite stoic about it and had no emotion. I find that very difficult to picture. I like the painting. I do. Is it divinely inspired? No. But it does help us get an image of things. The important thing here is the amount of faith that Abraham had. God, God had told him he was going to be the father of uh, a great nation and that through him his descendants would be massive, incredible, like dust, like sand, like the, the stars and such. But the problem early in the story, even though God had said this, is Abraham was quite old and uh, past the point where naturally you would have children, but God kept saying he was going to make the promise in chapter 15 and and. Uh, he was trying to make his plea in chapter uh, 17 and 18 and onward. But eventually God does say, listen, your wife, she's going to have a child. This is it. This is happening. And it seemed impossible given their age. But by faith, Abraham said, okay, if God says it, so be it. If God says it, it must, must be what's going to be true. The story of Abraham and Isaac exemplifies that. To a stunning degree. But not one that's out of reach for us to accept, believe, and also say, well, yeah. He's just a human. Perhaps I can participate in that level of faith as well. It's not so extraordinary that it's out of the reach if we choose. Even when we look in Genesis chapter 22 where the story exists, and if you want to turn over there with me, that would be a great thing to do. When he's going up, his preparation, I think, is quite incredible to his mindset towards God, his faith, and even the obedience that he's going to do in the midst of this. Did he believe that God was going to make him the father of many nations and have incredible number of descendants? It seems he did. Did he believe because there was evidence? Yes, of course, there was evidence. It would be impossible under normal circumstances for he and Sarah to even have Isaac. And there the boy was. There the boy was. The one through whom the descendants would come. He existed. And so when God gives him this task in 22, uh, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. There's definitely an emotional quality to this. Your only son whom you love, take him. You're going to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And I love verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, 
Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Last line. And we will come back to you. Now, some people say, well, of course he said we. They would freak out if they found out he was going to take the boy and sacrifice him. Maybe. Or maybe his faith was so strong that he believed in the promises of God enough to know if God said that Isaac is going to be the one through whom your descendants are going to come, and at that moment, Isaac had no children, the only way that was possible is if they were going to come back. He believed. He had faith that God would keep his promises. And he may not have totally understand how that was going to unfold, but he believed to the degree that he would do the work that God gave him to do, and he would so trust in God that the promise would be kept. That's faith and that's works. The faith was made complete because he took him up on the mountain and he put him on the altar. He prepared everything he was supposed to do. He drew the knife. He was about to do it. When the angel of the Lord speaks out and says, Abraham, Abraham, and he stops him from doing it. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little bit more insight and I know it's a big jump to go from Genesis to Hebrews, it seems. And, but, you know, Bible's really not that big. And it's a reasonable jump to go to. Because in that uh, passage in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives us some, some ideas that are going on there. And if I can get these pages to turn there for me. Here we go. And we look over in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Um, who it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What an amazing, amazing way of thinking. Because of faith. His faith was so strong in God's promises that God would give, make him a father of many nations, that he would have the promised land, that he would have these innumerable uh, descendants. And it was going to happen through Isaac, that even though God said, sacrifice your son, God would provide. He didn't have to fully understand the situation, but he had to obey God. And his thinking was, I don't know how it's going to play out, but even if it happens, God can raise him from the dead. God can raise him from the dead. That may be a thing that we, reading the Bible or growing up in the church, may say, well, of course God could raise him from the dead. Do you not remember all the stories? Jairus' daughter or the, the son of the widow Nain, and we can go down through all the prophets and what they did to raise people from the dead. How many of those stories did Abraham know? None. They hadn't happened. But he's so confident in the power of God and more importantly, the promises of God that he knows God's going to make it happen. God is always faithful. And because of his faith in God, what came out of him, what was expressed, was the works to be pleasing to God, to be obedient to God. What an incredible example. Even if we're tempted to say it's too much, how could I possibly have that kind of faith? The Holy Spirit put that in the scripture for a reason. To let you know it's not impossible, it's a choice. How hard will you believe in God? How hard will you believe in God? 
Well, through this example, it's not the bare minimum. Not good enough. If faith without works is dead, then I need the works and I need the faith and I need it to express God out into the world. That's what I need. And it's a reasonable expectation for all of us. All of us. Rahab is another example that was given. And again, I think she's very interesting as an example because she's so easy to dismiss. Her story is very short, but not really. If James put us here, there's a good reason for it. And it's to show that it's for everybody. Even the ones that we might dismiss that may not have the, the mythic stories. Joshua chapter 2, we don't have time to go deeply into her story, but in Joshua chapter 2, she encounters the two spies that come to sort of work through Jericho and she tells them the stunning bit of information, I think. She had faith because she was very aware of the works of God. She says, I know, I know that God made the dry land for you all to escape from Egypt. Mind-boggling. That word had got to Jericho, that that was reality. She knew about some kings that had been conquered by the, the works that of uh, God through his people. She knew. She said, because of those things, we tremble with fear because we know if God's offered you this place, it's going to fall. It's going to fall. So save me and my family. That's what she's asking for. And she's going to have the, the scarlet thread or the rope that would come down and that would signify where to be. And they made the agreement. And she put it in place because she knew if God says a thing is going to happen, it's going to happen. And so because of that, she responded by putting that in place. She responded by gathering her family together because that was part of the agreement. And so when the time came in Joshua chapter 6 that they had this incredible thing that, you know, from a military mindset makes no sense whatsoever to march around a city and blow trumpets and yell and carry the Ark of the Covenant. That's how you conquer a city? Well, yeah, if that's what God said to do, it's going to work. I shared with some of you, and Daryl, Lori, you all may remember this one time we were doing mission work and we asked kids, uh, we were allowed to come into a school and to teach them about Joshua and the fall of Jericho and such. And we said, what do you all think, man? Big wall around a city, how do you take it down? That was our lead in just to get them going. And one kid raised his hand, bulldozers. Hey, great answer. You can take some walls down with bulldozers. That's fantastic. What else would you do? So the kid, bombs, probably. I'd get bombs and blow them up. And I was like, wow, what video games are you playing? Exciting. Next kid comes up and said, what would you do? And he goes, I'd call America. And I was like, yes. But even greater than calling America is just simply do what God says. We could think about fighter planes and we could think about nuclear missiles and we could think about all kinds of things that are creative and not so creative and just kind of blunt or whatever, but simply do what God says. And if God says you're going to take the city because you walk around it, you're going to take the city if you walk around it. Your belief in him would lead you to do the works he asked for that would please him. And so the result will follow. Well, Rahab living in the city walls puts the scarlet in place and knows they're going to take the city. But her and her family might be delivered. They could be saved. That's so relatable for every single one of us. 
Especially when we realize that maybe we're the kind of person that no one's going to pay attention to and we're easily dismissed. We're just people, right? We're just people. And on some day we know there's going to be a judgment day that's going to come and maybe we would be forgotten. Maybe we would be caught up and maybe we would be punished with everybody else. But what if we believe in God? And what if We simply believe in him to the point that whatever he says we need to do to be delivered, we commit to it. Just as she committed to it. Would we not also be saved? Isn't this insanely relatable for every single person? Whether it's Abraham or whether it's Rahab, it's fairly incredible. It's fairly incredible. So we have these examples that he's presented for us, proving that faith Uh, without works is dead and yet we find that he's given this message to Christians and here's the other relatable part they're struggling with it but do we struggle with that as well I mean if we're being honest for being honest how comfortable would you be with that meter above your head showing your faith how comfortable would you be Would you walk out with great confidence, not pride, but just confidence going, yeah, I believe in God and I'm so devoted that I'm okay with people seeing that. Would you be a little hesitant to show up at church next Sunday? Would you be a little hesitant to go to the grocery store where everyone knows you're supposed to be a Christian, but they see the light above your head and go like, what did you do this week, man? What happened with you? Well, you're just trying to do the bare minimum. It's really not ever good enough, is it? Those of you that are into computers and technology know that when they give you the bare minimum specs, you better not do that. You better not, because it's probably not going to work some of the time and maybe most of the time. Same thing with your faith and works. If you're only chasing the bare minimum specs, trying to get by with it, oh man, you're heaping problems on yourself. Worse, you may be fooling yourself and thinking, hey, I'm all right. I'm all right. And you're not looking at the meter. Everyone else could see it, but you're not able to see it yourself because you're too ashamed or you're too scared or you're too full of pride. And you find it much easier just to pretend like we don't have to think about it. But James is saying you must. You must. The quality of your faith and the expression of the works that come out of it are necessary to God. This isn't just an ethical issue of how you exist in the world with your fellow man, though it is. It's also one that has to do with your salvation. It's a salvation issue. And if you want to truly serve God and be pleasing to him, if you want to be right with God and make sure that relationship with him is correct, you've got to address it and be willing to reflect on it. There are enemies to your faith, especially the kind that would express godliness into the world and through, through the good works. Fear. Fear is an incredible enemy of faith. It's easy for it to kind of seep into our lives, isn't it? What if? What if I try something and it doesn't work out? What if? What if I try to share the gospel and my friends turn on me? What if? What if I say the wrong words, man? And, and instead of coming closer to God, they, they run away from God. And I can't deal with that, so I, I'd best not even get involved. Fear is pretty terrifying. 
lack of understanding. Sometimes we allow that to get in the way, but I don't know enough. And maybe if I just had more words and I could, I could maybe figure it out a little bit better. I could serve God better than the works would really count, wouldn't they? But I just don't know enough. And so I'll step back and let somebody else do it. The problem with any of these things, and this is just a handful here, the enemies of faith is what it does is fools us. It fools us. It makes us think that's all we are in life. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I am with you. Fear? Why would you fear? I am God and I am with you. If you open your Bibles up and look in faith, you will see person after person after person, mighty people like Abraham, and who had his own struggles, all the way down to Rahab and all the other people, and he was with every single one of them. Fear? We serve the mighty God. What do we have to fear? We serve the Almighty. What is greater than him? Nothing. And if nothing is greater than him, then he is with me. Why would I not move in faith? This, this lectureship weekend is an incredible example of it. You did not sit here and go, what if, what if it fails? Temptation may have been there, but you did it anyway. You did it anyway. And what a blessing to have this moment. You did it anyway. I loved acknowledging that there are enemies of the faith, but only to say, how do I check myself and make sure they have no place in my life? Let me eradicate pride and let me eradicate the fear as best I can. My lack of understanding, that's a choice. I can study the Bible and I can do it with purpose. And if I don't get it, there are so many people, even in this room right now, who would be willing to help. I don't doubt it at all. God will provide. And I know that because of faith and what I've seen and experienced in the past. So I got to move on. I got to move on in a way that pleases him. So what kind of works do we do of qualityness? kind of works do we focus on you can go to matthew chapter 25 and and as jesus is talking there he's giving you some pretty basic works to follow into if you don't know what kind of works and you want to make sure that you're not trying to get in at the bare minimum and you're going to take charge of it now matthew 25 when you see those things that jesus is praising them for doing for eternal life someone who's hungry give them food do that do that doesn't have to be a grand uh, show of it whatsoever, but just do it. Someone's thirsty, fine, give them a drink. Someone's a stranger, take them in, show hospitality. Someone needs clothes, provide clothes, be thoughtful about it. Someone's sick, visit them. Someone's in prison, visit them. It's measurable. Did you do these things or not? That's measurable. If you're being honest, you can answer that for yourselves. You don't need the meter above your head. You can answer it for yourselves. And I'm on, then the next question is, am I doing the bare minimum of that or am I really trying? I would also recommend you go and look at Romans chapter 12. About verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Mark it down. I'm in my last 60 seconds here. And I'm going to try to close it out. Read the attitude and the spirit you bring to those works because that matters to the quality as well. It's measurable. It's measurable. To what degree of love do you put into those works? To what expression of God's character and nature do you put into those works? How much do you give without expecting back in return? How sacrificial are you willing to be? That's a, that's a big deal. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through the end 
to me, that's a fantastic example of what Christianity needs to look like, must look like. That's why I gave it as that. And it's faith made perfect through works. Even the giving of food and thirst down to the point where the latter part of that chapter, he's saying, do it to your enemies. Man, even your enemies. Wild. You've got to have quite the heart of God for that. So we'll close up. And I hope you're encouraged by this. I hope you'll read these chapters. Do look at Matthew 25 and Romans 12 to kind of shore that up. I'm past time. I don't think they're going to make this like an award show and play music to shout me out or anything like that. But uh, so grateful to be here. So thankful for you. And I look forward to getting to know you in just a few minutes. Appreciate you very much.